everybody, welcome into another edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast, presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs checking. Open online today at wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. Tony Andraki here with Lance Brozdowski, and Lance and I just had a chance to talk with Cubs VP of Scouting, Dan Kantrovitz. Dan dissected pretty much every pick that the Cubs had in the 20-round draft as the 2022 draft uh, kind of ended here. A lot of really interesting picks, some guys that um, were potential two-way players or guys coming off injury, including Cade Horton, first-round pick. But Lance, just in general, as you look at these 20 picks, um, before we get to this this conversation with Dan, how did you assess this? Like, what do you make of what the Cubs did with those picks? Yeah, it, it's funny. After seeing the entirety of the draft, they go 16 of 20 pitchers, uh, 9 of 10 in the first 10 rounds pitching, uh, depending on what you think of Nazir Mule in terms of two-way or whether you consider him a hitter or a pitcher both. But but anyways, it, it actually reminded me of a conversation I, was, I had with an individual in the organization talking through some things on the pitching side. And he goes to me, I think we just need better stuff in the organization. And I was kind of surprised with that. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Like, I feel like over the last couple of years, especially in Myrtle, Class A, and High A, South Bend, I've seen that uptick of stuff. Maybe it's not as prevalent at the top level in Iowa and such. And I, I never like put it in the back of my head and I never like thought of it again. And then after seeing what happened in this draft, it seemed like there was some synergy between departments in terms of them pushing towards a heavier pitching strategy to add upside high school arms add pure upside in general with a guy like Mule, as we're going to talk about kind of two-way, some high school talent and heavily focused on the pitching side. So that jumped out to me and it kind of brought everything first full circle in terms of some conversations I've had with individuals in the org. And uh, I really like it. I think I really like Jackson Ferris in the second round. That's a super projectable lefty. I understand a lot of those high school guys have a ton of variance. Any site you go to is going to say it's the highest high risk, but I really like the mechanics. I think there's some funk there. He's got feel for a couple pitches. Horton feels like a guy that's just going to fly through the system, maybe even quicker than Wicks did. Wicks went to the AZL last year, pitched a couple innings, then immediately got pushed to South Bend. So he jumped Class A Myrtle Beach. I could see something similar happening with Horton, but I'm not 100% sure where he is in terms of Tommy John recovery and how much they want to kind of push him into higher leverage situations. But some of these guys are going to fly through. Birdsell, too, uh, third or fourth round pick they made. Um, excuse me if I'm wrong on that. But, yeah, I'm curious in your perspective, Tony. Like, I like how Dan talked a lot about the macro view of, like, this is a whole draft as opposed to just like, we like this one pick. Yeah. I, I love that nugget that you had about like, they just need better stuff in the system. Cause to be honest, that's kind of what it seemed like as I was looking up each individual guy is like, Oh, this 18 year old throws 96 already, or this guy, you know, is a two-way player. Even like I was really intrigued by Shane Marshall from Georgia, you know, 14th round pick. And, and I asked Dan about him and we'll hear from that a little bit, but a guy who's threw 1.2 innings in college yeah. made three appearances and they draft him as a pitcher and it, it's, they liked his stuff. They liked his fastball. So like that was fascinating. And obviously, you know, Cade and, and Jackson, you know, right off the top are two guys that are interesting, but my takeaway overall was really that first night. And it was something that Dan said, even leading up to the draft that, like you said, you kind of file it back in your head. And I remember talking to Dan, at, you know, at Wrigley field, um, going into the draft and he talked about he I forgot what the exact question was but he talked about just looking at the number seven slot and they have the Cubs overall had you know uh 10th overall in terms of total money bonus pool that they could contribute to everybody every one of these picks and he, he brought it back kind of full circle and talked about how each pick is an evaluation you know towards the whole and the whole context matters and that was something that really stuck with me before the draft. And then after day one, where you look at Cade Horton, you know, probably going to be an underslot pick. Then Jackson Ferris, you know, they're going to buy him out of his commitment to college, you know, a prep 
uh, preps arm and stuff too. So it does kind of look like they're like a, this package deal and they took this big yeah. picture macro approach, like you mentioned too. So that was a takeaway to me. And I think that that really can help and, and be a good strategy moving forward that, you know, maybe Kate Horton was not technically the seventh best guy on the, on the draft board. Like maybe, you know, sure. depends on assessments, obviously, but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, just to see how it all flows together, how it all works together, that to me stood out. And I thought that was a really fascinating thing and something you brought up with Dan here. So, um, you know, on that note, let's get to the Dan Cantoritz interview. Dan talked about a lot of different things from the macro view to, to individual dissections of each player and each pick, and then how some of former uh, Cubs picks, draft picks have, have been faring within the system. So let's chat with Dan right now. Dan, looking at the draft as a whole, I know it just wrapped up very busy week for you guys here. Well, busy couple of months, obviously, but looking at it, the 20 picks, 16 of them went to pitchers. Was that kind of the ideal situation? And you know, based off of your pre-draft game plan, or how would you evaluate just the run on arms that you guys took with the Cubs here with the 20 picks? Yeah, going in, we we, we discussed that it was going to be a little bit skewed towards pitching. Um, you know, I don't think you can ever pinpoint an exact number that it's going to land on. Um, you know, it ends up being who's available there at each pick, what are the alternatives? Um, but it was definitely within the range of what we thought would be a successful outcome. How would you kind of evaluate the draft overall? You know, just not even the number of pitchers taken, but just, you know, in general, like, are you guys really happy with this haul that you guys got? Yeah. So, you know, as a scouting director, I'm, I'm pretty biased. I walk out of there with, you know, rose colored glasses thinking it, you know, it's just an amazing draft. Um, but, you know, the real barometer for me is when I can, you know, sort of gauge the, uh, the scouts excitement and then, you know, the people I work with and work for and, you know, after, after day one, uh, you know, I saw smiles on, you know, Jed, Carter, Brez, all the scouts. And, you know, for, for me, that was kind of a telltale sign that, uh, you know, we uh, went in there and executed the plan and, um, you know, came out of there uh, really happy with it. I imagine you're getting a lot of, uh, through this whole process, you're getting perspective from different departments, strength conditioning, uh, player development, guys like Breslow, personal opinions, I imagine, from coaches and such, integrating all that and then coming down to decisions, I imagine, is a tough process. Can you talk a little bit about how that works, maybe just for the fans that maybe don't fully understand how much perspective you're intaking? Yeah, so, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's sort of two sides of having, uh, you know, some, a lot of expertise in the organization and, um, you know, uh, and, and just a, a lot of resources to tap into. Well, you know, on, on one hand, it makes it, you know, th so there's a lot of voices entering the process, you know, in the weeks leading up to it. Um, and you just need to make sure that you're, you know, organized and able to synthesize all of it in a, you know, in a timely manner. But you, know, you also want to make sure that you, you leverage it, you know, to its fullest extent. And when you've got guys like, you know, Justin Stone and his staff on the hitting side, Craig Breslow and his staff on the pitching side, um, you know, and then a, a countless number of um, members of our research and development staff, um, you know, weighing into this, it's, you know, they, they, they come at it from all different angles. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just incredibly informative. And, I think, you know, one of the things that makes it exciting, but also difficult is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of healthy debate. And I think my, from my experience, the more debate, the better um, on each player. And I think that's when you can really flush out, you know, the, the issues and really zero into, you know, what you think as a, as a group on, on each guy. And, um, you know, I, I can tell you, we had a lot of healthy debate going in and um, it was, you know, all of it was just, you know, used to its fullest extent going into a, into the draft. And, um, you know, I, I think it just adds 
a whole new layer of um, sophistication and, and, and hopefully success to, to our draft process. And I know, you know, talking about some of the pitchers as well, like a couple of them have are coming off injury, you know, even in the recent past or a little bit more recent, including first round pick Cade Horton, you know, having Tommy John under his belt already. How do you evaluate the injury and how that comes into play, particularly with some of these pitchers and especially for a guy like Cade, who, you know, was pitching 20, his 2022 season, just recovering after such a major surgery? Yeah, so, I, you know, I think the way that we look at it, you know, and I think you have to start off with sort of our current assets in our system and on, on the pitching side. And, you know, this is probably true throughout baseball, not just, you know, specific to us, but, you know, you have some pitchers that are currently rehabbing. You have some pitchers that, um, you know, may, might have just had surgery and you have some pitchers that are completely healthy. And I think the more that you can stagger and kind of ladder uh, the number, you know, number of pitchers you have at different levels, um, kind of the better off you're going to be and, and be ready for sort of each window that you might might need them now not to say that you're going to plan on pitchers getting injured but I think the reality is that you know if if you can't go in there and come out with you know every player from the draft being injured um, but I think it's unrealistic to go into the draft and come out of it thinking that you know every player is going to be completely healthy and so I think you know once we then sign these pitchers and then stack them into our system you know we've got a pretty good laddered portfolio in terms of you know pitchers that are ready to go right now pitchers that are ramping up and then maybe pitchers that, you know, still need to get healthy. And I think if, as long as you don't, you know, bias yourself too much towards, you know, one subset of that group, then I think you're going to probably, uh, you know, be ready for any sort of window of, uh, you know, opportunity as, you know, in the minor leagues and hopefully then, you know, in the major leagues someday. Aid seems like a fastball slider guy. Um, obviously a lot of college experience in high leverage situations, especially in the college world series, whereas Jackson Ferris, IMG Academy guy, lefty, change up feel, Seems like he's blending a slider and a curve, some easy adjustments there. Um, those seem like very different picks to me in the first and second round, just from my perspective, thinking about it from the pitching angle. But from your perspective, thinking of it, it I know you've said before how it's not even about an individual pick. It's about the entire pool of guys that you have. And I feel like those two picks kind of epitomize the difference of, you know, we're looking at this collectively. Um, how much of the process was more about what you get in those 20 picks as opposed to maybe just one individual selection? Yeah, you know, I, I think going into it, I mean, first of all, we're we're thrilled with Cade, and and you know, I think he's just going to be a total stud. But I think going into it and, and you know, stepping back for a second, you know, you want to come out of the draft having twenty picks that you know that you're really happy about, and that sort of maximize what we're projecting, which is you know their their future ability to add wins to the Chicago Cubs. Um, and if you just look at it, maybe. You know, and one pick in isolation, or that's the first round, second round, third round, and not consider sort of the the, the picks after it um, or before. Then I think you're you know you're not looking at it um, in terms of just maximizing the entire draft, and it might be a little short sighted just to sort of isolate one pick in particular. Having said that, um, going in, Cade was our top target. You know, the morning, the morning before, you know, I think the the trend had sort of become real and become obvious to, you know, when we sat down as a group and, you know, Jed and Carter and, 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 and Brez and the rest of the leadership group. And, you know, we kind of mapped out our different options and said, you know, we, you know, ideally this player, um, you know, if he fell into this range at, you know, say at pick one plus this player at pick two, if he fell into this range and then there's, you know, plans a plans B plan C, you know, at, at, at different ranges as well. And then when you add all those up, you know, that's what you want to maximize. If you just look at maybe just maximizing just a single pick, 
And, you know, sometimes that's the right play. But if you if you only look at just that scenario, then I think you might be missing sort of what you could be getting from, you know, the whole group of picks. But I can, I can honestly tell you that, you know, the day before, and this was probably repeated in the you know the prior three days leading up to it, but the way it unfolded was 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 what we deemed as our as our optimal outcome. And you know, I think you can walk away um, sort of thinking that or, or or saying that, but in this case, I mean, it jived exactly with what we hoped would happen based on sort of our paper analysis going into it, which uh, which was nice to see. How do you guys view the potential for two-way players? Um, you know, like Nazir Mule, like, you know, how do you, how you look at guys like that who have done that in, in college or in preps or whatever, and then folding that into preps or sorry, into pro ball, like how do you look at the potential of where they may go, whether on the mound or in the field? Yeah. So Naz is, you know, he's 17 and he's just a dynamic talent. And, you know, when you get to that point in your baseball career, when you're 17 and you can hit the ball harder than everybody and, and throw the ball harder than everybody, and, you know, you're stronger than everybody, it's, you know, you, you gravitate towards doing as much as you can on the field. And that's what he's done up to this point. And, you know, we're going to be open-minded with him because we don't want to you know, rule out something that, you know, he might end up developing and be, you know, really good at, whether that's pitching, whether that's hitting, uh, whether that's fielding. And, you know, but I think going in the way that, collectively we've decided we're going to approach it is to first evaluate him on the mound and map out a plan that way. Um, and we feel, you know, without ruling anything else out, we feel like that's sort of just the best order of operations in terms of, you know, assessing how he's going to, you know, sort of best acclimate to the Chicago Cubs, best ramp up. And, you know, we're going to be really patient with them. You know, some of these guys come in a little banged up in, in, in certain ways. And, you know, we haven't really had a chance to um, you know, assess where Nas is at uh, from a health standpoint. And, you know, it's probably, you know, premature to, you know, even go too much deeper than that because, you know, there, there hasn't been, uh, you know, an, an official signing there. So, um, but, you know, if we're fortunate enough to get him into our system, I think that's, that's how we'd approach it. The only hitter you guys selected, I guess, if you consider uh, Mule a, a pitcher hitter, we'll, we'll take him out of the equation, but <laughs> the only beer hitter you selected in the first 10 picks was Christopher Passiola, high school shortstop. Um, he's a guy that in talking to some other individuals in the Cubs organization, basically, you know, you get him in the weight room and you wait a year and a half and then he buffs up or he puts on weight and he starts to get a little bit more dynamic. But what did you see in him as a pure talent on the offensive and defense, defensive side that you wanted to make him the one hitter you guys selected in the first 10 picks? Yeah. So usually when we're looking at any player, whether he's our first round pick or our 10th round pick, there's, there's a wide range of opinions, right? Like some scouts will, you know, be a little less optimistic here and more optimistic here. And, you know, you, you kind of look at all of our sky reports in, in, in a summary fashion and, you know, you, it's, you're trying to say, well, if we listen to this scout here, or this scout here, or this data point here, well, everything was really consistent with, with, with Chris. And so what I mean by that is we all had similar optimistic projections, um, you know, on his ability to make contact, um, his ability to be versatile defensively. Um, and just have a really well-rounded skill set where, you know, he's going to be able to move around. And, you know, as he fills out and grows into his frame, um, you know, we do think there's going to be some pop there. And, you know, and, and, and in addition to just having some contact, maybe some over-the-fence pop as well. And then, you know, move him around at you know, third, short, second. And, you know, he's, got, he's the type of athlete that could even play the outfield if, if, if we needed him to. But, you know, I think we'll, you know, we'll be patient with him like we will with all of our picks. And, you know, once he gets under the umbrella of our high performance group and, you know, Corey Kennedy and his staff kind of get their hands on him and, and you know, 
are able to, you know, coach him up on that side of things. Um, you know, we think it's just going to be uh, somebody that's going to grow into a um, potentially really exciting big leaguer. Your fifth round pick, Brandon Burtzell, righty from Texas Tech, and sixth round you guys went with Will Fritch from Oregon State. Um, those are a pair of pitchers, I, I, at least from the public perspective, I feel like when you hear a college name, you think to some extent that it's a polished arm. Maybe there's not too much tinkering to go on. Maybe there's some body refinement. But those two schools do a really good job of developing pitching, develop, developing players in general. Are those two selections primarily for the floor of like, hey, in two to three years, we are pretty sure we can get major league innings out of this guy? Or do you guys see more potential for those two? Yeah, so, you know, I think they're they're really different cases. Um, and, you know, with, with, with Brandon, Brandon's got big league stuff right now. Not to say that we're going to rush him or, you know, or, or put him at a level that, you know, he, he, he can't handle initially. But, I mean, he's got power upper 90s fastball right now, you know, that's got some serious, you know, bore and, and, and life to it. And, you know, he's got, a, he's got a power slider to complement that. And, you know, he's working, he's tinkered with it sinker and a change up that, you know, kind of goes off, you know, the other side to, you know, be effective against lefties. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that our scouts have been, you know, last year we we're in on him and, you know, it, nothing, it didn't really align from, uh, you know, what he was expecting, what he wanted to do. And so we've just kind of kept tabs on him and, um, you know, his, his stuff's pretty advanced and, 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 and pretty electric, but, um, you know, so I think, you know, once, uh, once our pitching infrastructure, you know, is able to identify sort of, you know, really what his strengths and weaknesses are from, you know, objective standpoint to, you know, complement what our scouts have seen. Um, you know, I think he's, he's a guy that we're, you know, that, that, that we're pretty excited about in, in the sense that I think he could be a starter. He could be a high leverage late inning reliever. Uh, you know, there's, there's a number of pathways for him, but, you know, Lance, to your point, I think he's coming out fairly advanced, um, you know, in contrast to a guy like Will Frisch, you know, he's uh, not to say that Will's not advanced in his own right, but, you know, when you're, you know, rehabbing from a surgery and, 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 you know, it's your ramp up, your time horizon is a little bit different, you know, we'll, we'll be patient with him. And, um, you know, I just remember talking to, you know, the, the head coach and the strength coach at Oregon state, uh, about a week ago. And, you know, we were talking about a number of arms that they have on, on, on their squad. And, and, um, before I could even ask about Will, they both just brought him up. Um, and, you know, it, from the context of, you know, one of their, their hardest workers, um, you know, on the field in the weight room and, you know, you get up close to Will and I mean, he's just put together, you know, we had a chance to do it at the combine and, you know, sit right across from him. And I mean, he's, he's a pretty strong kid. And then on top of it, what really impressed me was he was just really cerebral. Um, and, you know, the way that he was able to, you know, his aptitude and the way that he could respond to different data points and somebody that I think we just think would be a really good fit for, you know, our, our, our system and our infrastructure in the sense that, you know, if one of our pitching analysts comes to him and says, you know, let's, uh, let's change your grip here. Or, you know, let's, uh, how about we try this new, you know, a, a pitch that sort of goes in this direction. You know, he's somebody that I think is going to really just understand that and, and hopefully be able to incorporate in his game pretty quickly, which is uh, an important part of a player's improvement. All right, we're going to take a quick break right now with a word from our sponsor, Wintrust. We know you love Chicago. You devour the pizza, admire Chicago's skyline, and cheer on Chicago sports teams, especially the Cubs. If you wanted to live in a more boring place, you'd live in St. Louis. Why not bank with Chicago's bank too? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Wintrust Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. Show your Cubs pride and open an account at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. 
Dan, uh, you know, one of the interesting names that you guys took, eighth round, Mason McGuire. Um, a lot of Cubs fans, I'm sure, are very familiar with that last name. You know, son of former big league star Mark McGuire. How do you oh, just overall, broadly speaking, look at these kind of legacy picks, right? Like, um, obviously, Mason was drafted as a pitcher. His dad was, you know, a big-time slugger. But just in general, like, being from a family of a guy, and we've seen success from Fernando Tatis Jr., Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette. Like, we've just seen a lot of it in recent, uh, you know, history here in the big leagues, but in general, like that legacy pick when you guys are drafting. Yeah. So, you know, I think on one hand it, it, it stands out because how, how, how can it not, you know, how can you not sort of, um, you know, appreciate the, the legacy that, you know, his, his dad has had and, 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 and the, um, you know, just not sort of get excited about it from that standpoint. But, you know, I think when you start to really, um, you know, line our guys up and evaluate them and, and, and submit a sky report, you have to do it independent of, you know, the name on the back of his jersey. And, um, you know, otherwise, I, I think you're, you know, over undervaluing him relative to, you know, the other players. And in the case of Mason, um, you know, what we see is a, you know, an uber projectable, you know, right handed pitcher that's, you know, got a lot of room to fill out and he's got a lively fastball right now and he's got he incorporates a split and, you know, talking to, when, when our area scout Evan Kaufman and I went into, into his house uh, earlier in the spring to do a you know home visit and talk to Mason and Mark and and, and their family, it, um, you know he told us the story about how he learned to split and um, you know because you don't really see too many amateur players, especially a high school kid with a developed split. And um, you know I think he learned it from talking from a conversation he had with Raleigh Fingers. And you know I don't think he would have had the opportunity to have that conversation if you know, he wasn't, um, you know, tagging along with his dad at the time. So, you know, I think that's an instance where it worked with, you know, it, it, it certainly helped Mason, but having said that he's gotten to where he is because he's put in the time and work and um, on his own. And, you know, I think there's, there's plenty of kids that, you know, are, are, are offspring of really successful major leaguers that, you know, don't end up, uh, you know, putting in the work and that he has and, and don't end up getting to that point and don't have the, you know, the future that we see Mason has. So, um, you know, I think if you can use it to your advantage and, and you know, in like Mason's case, learn a new pitch or, you know, model the behavior of like a swing if you're a hitter, um, you know, I think it's great. But at the same time, we have to sort of put everybody on an even playing field and evaluate them for you know, who they are and what they are today, um, you know, independent of, um, you know, who they might be related to. Another guy that I was really intrigued by, uh, Shane Marshall in the 14th round, yeah. you know, I just I to be honest, I don't know a ton about him, obviously, I know that, you know, drafted as a pitcher, but spent a lot of time in Georgia as a catcher, only through, you know, 1.2 innings in, in college. But Dan, can you just maybe explain a little bit about, you know, maybe the thought process with that pick in general, and then what you guys see from Shane and, you know, assuming signs and everything, what he could be moving forward in the Cubs system? Yeah, you know, I think any any good scout will tell you if you've if you've seen it once, uh, you know, there's, there's a good chance you'll be able to see it again. And um, you know, in the case of, uh, of of Marshall, I mean, we we had you know it was a combination of our scouts, of our R and D staff. Um, you know, we'd identified some particular traits of his fastball. Um, you know that he threw, and 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 I think it wasn't very often that he was able to throw this, just because he was you know catching for him, and uh, it was impressive enough to us to you know to to draft him uh, you know on, on on day three, and it's uh, it's you know you put another wrinkle into his his repertoire. Um, you know, I think there, there could be some runway there. And so, you know, we'll see. And uh, he's got, he's obviously got to develop, got to turn into a pitcher. And, um, but, you know, there's, when you, you know, when our scouts are saying the same thing as our R&D analysts and, 
Um, you know, it, it, and then when you can, you know, have see it on video and it's just, there's, there's a whole lot that went into that pick. Um, but you know, I think it comes back to, you know, he demonstrated and we're confident in his ability to, you know, to, he demonstrated a, a fastball, a unique fastball with, with unique traits. And I think having seen that with, from our scouts on, on data, um, you know, we were confident enough to, to take a chance on him and, and see if, uh, you know, he can get, a, you know, under the umbrella of our pitching infrastructure and even, you know, further refine that, and, um, you know, turn that glimpse of an exciting fastball into, you know, a complete repertoire. I'm not sure if you're going to give me anything in this question, Dan, but is there a pick here that you were surprised was still available when you made the selection? Um, you know, I think uh, it's tough to be too surprised at seven um, and not we were you know, thrilled when Cade was there. But I think, you know, when you're you shouldn't be too surprised at, you know, who ends up falling to you there because there's only you know, six in front of you. So I think you probably have to start with our, you know, with our second round pick at 47. Um, you know, and, 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 and Jackson was, Parrish was a guy that, you know, we talked about in the first round. Um, and I don't think we were the only team. And, you know, I think there's a, to have, you know, 46 picks go off the board um, and have him still there. Uh, I think, um, you know, I, I am not going on a limb by saying that was, uh, that was a pleasant surprise. And, you know, I think that jives with, you know, third party publication rankings. I think that jives with, you know, what our scouts, the buzz in the scouting industry, um, so, you know, I think that one in particular was, you know, when you're talking about somebody, um, you know, as high as seven, and then he ends up being there at 47, um, that I think, you know, qualifies as, as a surprise, a pleasant one for us. And I know when we talked to you just as a overall media group after day one, and you talked about, you know, Cade and really how he came on so strong in the, in the college postseason, and just how the timing of the draft, you know, it used to be in June, and that would have been a much different evaluation from your end or from really the, you know, anybody's and on, on Kate, if it was done in June versus mid-July overall, do you like the draft in mid-July? Like, did you prefer it when it was June? Like just, I know this is, you know, Kate is very one specific case, but like in general, is it kind of cool to like have the Cape Cod season going college done like this mid-July draft? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a new wrinkle. And anytime you, you kind of change up the the regimen of, of what we do as scouts, you know, guys and girls that are accustomed to routine, um, maybe as much as anybody out there, you know, it, it sort of um, is, is a jolt to, to sort of our, to our system. And so I think when it changed, um, you know, it, it's, it takes a little adapting and adjusting to it. And I'm not saying we're fully there yet, but I think what we saw is sort of the, the other side of that. And, um, you know, how much, you know, the, the draft is about collecting as much information as you can and then waiting as long as you can so you can collect as much or more than anybody else and, and then be in a position to, to make a decision. And, you know, had the draft been what it was historically, we wouldn't have been in a position to, you know, see Kate the, the number of times that we would have wanted to and have the quality outings and, and just be further along that, that curve of ascent that he's been on all year. And so I think it, it really played to our advantage. And I think, you know, credit to, to Jed and Carter for, you know, um, kind of bearing with us on this. And, you know, because I think, you know, we're, we're every day, you know, every week and, you know, as we get closer every day, you know, I'm reporting to them as far as, you know, who we, who we like, uh, you know, who our department likes. Uh, and, you know, I think uh, a month ago, you know, Kate probably wasn't going to be in our conversation at, at, at seven, um, you know, and probably just on the periphery. And then, you know, as you start to get more confident in his ascent, he starts to enter that conversation. And, 
the more open-minded you are, and I've, I've learned this probably the hard way over, over the years, um, and the, but the more open-minded you are, you know, up until the very last minute, um, you know, still being reasonable and thorough in the, in, in, with your process, um, the better off you're going to be. If you get, you know, stuck with a certain, you know, preconceived notion of like, we got to take these players because this is who we were talking about at the beginning of the year, um, you end up not probably making the best decision. And, you know, I've, I've been a part of that in the past and certain picks, you know, over the last, uh, you know, 20 years, 15, 20 years. And, and, and I've sort of learned that, you know, the, the, the more that you can just sort of wait to make the decision, as long as information's coming in and just be able to digest it as quick as you can, whether that's, you know, updated scouting looks, whether that's updated pitch tracking information, um, whether that's updated, uh, you know, health reports, all three of which that we were getting on Cade that just continued to sort of point in that positive direction. Um, you know, I think that the, just the better off you're going to be and the better decisions you're going to make. So next year is the first year with a draft lottery. Uh, mm -hmm. From my understanding, you're talking to scouts and other people. This does not stop. I already saw some video of Max Clark, who's considered one of the top prospects for next year's draft down Tropicana, hitting balls out. So who are you guys taking next year? <laughs> uh, still trying to sign everybody for this year. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I, I, it's funny because, uh, you know, Jed's, Jed's got his pulse uh, pretty close to, be, you know, what's going on in the amateur circuit, which, you know, is impressive for, you know, somebody that has to kind of have a big picture view of, of everything else. Um, and, you know, he was asking me that a little bit during the draft. And, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, goodness, I, I'm, focusing on, you know, right, right, right here and now and, and, and getting these picks and trying to, you know, sign them for this year. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's a good thing when, you know, the guy that you work for, uh, you know, is, is, is also that knowledgeable and enthusiastic about, you know, what we're doing, but uh, yeah, it's too early for me to give you a prep list on next year, Lance. <laughs> sure. And I know a lot of your focus, like you just said, obviously is on this year and, and the draft, but just, you know, the first two drafts you had with this organization, how rewarding is it to see success from past picks? Like Jordan Wicks was just promoted, you know, recently. James Triantos having a solid season. And then even, you know, a guy like Matt Mervis, this undrafted free agent in that, you know, only five rounds in 2020 to see how well he's done. Just some of those guys in particular, like how rewarding is it from your end to see the fruits of that labor, that hard work, all that research start to pay off in the minor league system? It's, it's really rewarding. And, you know, I think it's uh, what, what we take a lot of pride in, you know, the players that we're drafting and developing as an organization. And, you know, when I hear our scouts talking about them, you know, I think that's what sort of gives me, you know, the, you know, really makes me smile and, and, and makes me happy because I think they're, they're proud of, you know, who we're taking. And then, you know, in turn, what that means to me is, you know, the fans will be happy and that, um, you know, we're going to, those guys are going to be contributing at Wrigley at some point soon. So, um, you know, that's the ultimate goal. And I think, uh, um, you know, once they get out there, then I think we can, you know, really, um, you know, smile about sort of some of some of those stories. But, you know, I think our I mean, the, the industry is, is really good at drafting and, and, and getting better and better every year. And so, you know, we need to keep up with that. And I think we are. And um, so we need to get better and better every year and, and not get too happy or comfortable with, uh, you know, any any past picks and, um, you know, also try to look at you know, the picks where, you know, I think we could have done something different or, um, you know, and just to keep learning and, and, and improve there as a group, because I think that's something that, um, you know, we don't ever want to get stagnant and, and complacent and sort of how we're looking at things. And, um, you know, I think the more that we understand sort of the more that I understand sort of how our scouts approach it, the more I understand how to best leverage, what, you know, the uh, immense uh, 
you know, resources of our R&D group, um, you know, of our player development group, and just sort of uh, how to mesh all that together. I think the the better we're going to be, and I think uh, so. Yeah, we, you know, when we look at those past successes, it's great. Um, but I think if we're not also looking at it, you know, from the other side and just constantly trying to improve and and be better at what we're doing, um, you know, we might be missing something. Sounds good. Well, Dan, thank you so much. We appreciate all the knowledge and uh, appreciate you stopping by the Cubs Weekly Podcast here. No problem. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast. We thank Dan for his time. And as always, we are presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. For Lance, I'm Tony Andraki. Thanks again for tuning in.